Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter, and I'm a broker here at StoneX. Uh, I work in the uh, grain and oil seeds group here and also very closely with our energy group and our dairy. So if you have any questions about that, please let us know. I, you know, In the futures and options market, we do swaps, OTC, and structured products. And then for our uh, clients on the, the hedging side, whether they're a producer or a consumer, we also offer consulting services. Uh, my number here is 312-706-7610. Email is craig.turner at stonex.com. Feel free to contact me anytime. Also, clients should have my cell phone, so you can always text me too. And then, uh, yeah, if you like the podcast, please go on to iTunes, give us a positive review. And if you want to check out the newsletter, you can go to turnerstake.com, and, but also my signature and uh, on Twitter, um, you can you know find all that contact information on there too. So let's get into it. We did not have a podcast last week. I was kind of half in and out of the the office while the kids were out of school, and there wasn't a whole lot going on. But here we are. We're back in the new year, and you know we started off selling in a big way. And you know two things happened for the the selling. Number one, we kind of ran up. Last week, or you know, the the you know week leading up into Christmas, and certainly the week in between Christmas and New Year, we uh, went up on low volume, and there just wasn't a lot of natural sellers out there. And you, know, you get a little bit of a bullish news here or there, or really no bearish news, and the market drifts higher, especially with the weather in South America. And that you know, that is uh, that is what happened. I think we come in on Tuesday after New Year's, and we had heavy selling Tuesday and Wednesday. And I think when the big traders come in and the macro traders come in and the fundamental guys look at the landscape of the market for 2023, you know, they see a slowdown in growth. They see recessions. We see these headlines that says Amazon's going to have to cut back and lay off 18,000 workers. And Amazon's not just a technology company. I mean, Amazon really is a retail company, a consumer retail company that just happens to live in the technology space. But, you know, their business is driven by know retail consumption and clearly that's going down so that's not good uh we see salesforce laying off i want to say 10 percent, 11 or 12 percent of their workforce here's the thing with salesforce they offer software and services for businesses to basically keep track of a their clients and then b any kind of new business they're trying to attain and if other you know so when you see salesforce cutting back that means companies, big companies, are cutting back because they don't think they're going to be growing, or there may be a recession. So that's so now big business or business to business, you know, overall is going to be, you know, you get in a, a sign here it could be lower. And then Goldman Sachs just announced that they're going to probably have to let go of 4,000 people. Um, now Goldman Sachs is a big company, but you know that is a big chunk of uh, of their workforce there. 
Um, so and that's the investment banking side of it. So, you know, we're looking across the banking, uh, retail, and you know, consumer spending. You know, the business corporate model where you know with Salesforce, you know, having to do layoffs. You know, and the, and the retail part would have been Amazon. So that's not great. And you see the economic projections for basically inflation staying high, interest rates staying at this level, maybe even creeping up, but definitely not coming back down. You see these, you know, what's going on in the corporate world with layoffs um, and economic growth really isn't that great. So if you get low economic growth and you have inflation staying higher, that's a recipe for stagflation, even if it's just on a minor scale. I mean, this isn't 1970s stagflation. Um, where interest rate, you know, where inflation is way, way runaway, you know, higher than it is now. And interest rates have been higher back then too, but um, in the 70s, 80s kind of time period. But it's a little bit reminiscent of that. And I think funds came in, saw, saw the writing on the wall, and sold pretty aggressively any rallies and a little bit, and then some on Tuesday and Wednesday. So on Thursday and Friday, the markets did get a little bit of, uh, stabilization i think we're you know you know the oil seed markets prop and you know probably came back first because of the issues going on in argentina um and you know we have basically drought in argentina and it's going to be hot for the next seven days uh, we're going to be in the 90s and 100s down there and it's not going to rain and when it does rain next week um you know hopefully it can help the crop but there's been some real damage down there and it will time will tell if it's reversible or not but that is you know and also too when you've got droughts when you have poor production sometimes the garden spots can make up for the bad spots but the thing is like you can only outproduce so much you can only out yield so much I mean, you can't you know if your average you know, if the average yield is 181 in the united states and corn you know you, you can't put up a, a 360. That's, you're not going to be able to double yields because everything was going great. You know, you probably can't even increase it by, I mean, at the most, you could probably only increase it by maybe a few percentage points, you know, 5% max, you're, you know, and if the whole country's doing great. That's not the case on the downside. You know, we saw with Canada recently, the drought reduced their biggest crops by 30 or 40%. Um, you know, the national corn average for 2012 was one in the 120s, right? So, you know, you can really, you can't go up as much as you lose if the drought gets that bad for the for the good spots compared to the bad spots. And I think that's what the market's kind of concerned about. And that's, you know, again, time will tell, but, you know, that's what's going on. And, you know, right now, soybeans, you know, it got hit pretty good. And then today to end of the week, and we're almost at $15 again for old crop and almost $14 again. For new crop, you know, canola is also staying strong. Old crop stays in these 830, 840 range. That's new crop in the 830, 840 range. And the old crop is, you know, 860s trying to get the 870. And that's been fairly consistent. Those oil seeds have been holding in real well. And, you know, a lot is riding on South America. Um, and also, too, when I take a look at acres for North America next year, for the spring, I should say, you know, I mean, there is some concern about dryness in Canada and the Western prairies. And also, you, know, you do need to rotate that canola crop. Um, it's difficult to go year over year canola and canola. Um, so it's hard to expand acres uh, much more than they have right now. And 
you know, no one's saying huge burdens in stocks, but I don't think, you know, we're going to have tight stocks either, but you still got to grow this and you still got to, you know, you still got to, uh, you know, plant all those acres. So the prices remain somewhat elevated, you know, especially compared to you know, maybe three or four years ago, um, maybe not last year, but they still remain elevated. And soybeans need to also, you know, when I, we were just doing our calculations or I was just doing my calculations for, you know, acres and production and what does a balance sheet look like for, for new crop that, you know, 20 for 22, 23, and, you know, also looking at 23, 24. Um, you know, we need, the United States needs soybeans to be around 88 million acres and a trend line yield of 52. So somewhere around 87 to 88 million acres and a trend line yield of around 52, you know, puts us year over year about, we use as much as we consume. And the thing is when you increase acres by one, 1 million, you're only adding 50 million bushels are taking away 50 million bushels from ending stock projections, which isn't a lot. So if we're talking about 200, 250, 300 million soybean bushels for carryout, that's not, you know, that that's okay. It's not extremely tight, but it's not burdensome. And when I take a look at South America, uh, if, you know, there's no guarantee they'll have a bumper crop, you know, depending on what's going on in Argentina and the exports for soybeans have been very strong. And we're running ahead of pace of the USDA. You see this WASDI coming out next week on Wednesday. I wouldn't be surprised if exports for soybeans go up and they tighten ending stocks. Some people are arguing that that soybean crops will be bigger than the USDA is saying. We'll see. You know, opposite on the corn side. I mean, we are on pace to export 1.8 billion. USDA has us at 2.075 billion in exports. We're nearly 300 million off the pace. Um, so, you know, that's that's not good. Um, and you would think the USDA would make those adjustments in January, which means instead of on a 1.2 billion carryout, maybe we're closer to 1.3, 1.4. We'll see what they say for production too. Um, for the old crop production, the USDA, you know, if they need to make adjustments to the crop size from this past summer, they certainly will in this report. Um, and they'll probably comment on South America too. So it's a big report coming on Thursday. The, you know, as we, you know, as we head into next week, I think there are a couple of things to to look at. One, on the oil seed side, do they start to reduce Argentine uh, production, and do they change anything on Brazil? Do they make any comments on Chinese demand? Because this macro, it's not just the United States or North America. You know, it's also it's global economic issues too. And there is some real concern about China, their economy, the growth, the way, you know, way COVID is going over there. Um, and that can lead to, to lower demand too. So that'll be very interesting to see what the USDA says. And you could have a situation there where stocks get tighter, um, but the outlook gets a little bit more bearish because demand's more of a concern going down the road while demand has been so much strong lately. So you could get your bull and your bear kind of uh, reaction to to the report that way. On the corn side, I think what the problem is is you know you get it's either the most bullish thing going on in corn is the threatening loss of Argentine corn. The most bearish thing going on for for corn right now is these high prices is discouraging demand. Uh, on the wheat side, it's more of a black sea play. Russia has been very aggressive selling wheat, and they're taking market share. Now they can't do that forever. 
and eventually the, that'll subside and we still have global stocks are still tight for wheat. You know, I think what you know Russia really just wants to do is they have this window now to sell a ton of wheat, which they haven't been able to, and they're just going to go ahead and maximize it and and ring the register, which, you know, makes sense to me, especially from their their position. Uh, if when I take a look at the wheat market and what kind of pressure it can put on there, I mean, realistically, when you look at wheat, you also got to look at corn because of the substitution. So I always take a look at corn first and I say to myself, you know, what's really the lowest old crop corn could go to right now? You know, old crop corn is about 654. Sure, we can dip into the 640, 630s, maybe like 625 is a, you know, is a low, you know, if everyone starts selling at once and the, you know, the, the hits are just all bearish coming down the line for the moment. I'm not saying the whole year. I'm saying for, you know, in the near term. Uh, that would put probably Chicago wheat a dollar higher for support. So let's call it 725, 720, 730, somewhere around there. Um, for Kansas City, give that another dollar higher. Kansas City, you know, it does have tighter stocks relatively uh, in terms of stock to usage than Chicago does. It's been trading about a $91, $110 premium to Chicago. Let's just call it a dollar to make the math easy. So let's say Kansas City wheat. You know, support probably comes in as 820, I don't know, low 8, 830, low 8 kind of area, which would put, you know, spring wheat in this kind of mid to high 8 support, 868.70, something like that for the for the spring wheat Minneapolis contract. It's hard to see it go down anywhere near there. You know, it's hard to see wheat crashing with still a tight global exporter stock. Also with, you know, Russia and Ukraine fighting. And, you know, we only planted, Ukraine only planted two thirds of wheat acres. And then once they plant them, you know, who knows, who knows what the yields are going to be, what's being applied over there, the labor situation and how effectively, you know, they they can plant, you know, they did plant winter wheat. It, it's, you know, there's a lot of wild cards going on over there. So I'll say this for wheat too, while it deserves to remain elevated, and those support levels really should come in here over the next couple of months. So the market gets comfortable with a Northern hemisphere winter wheat production. Um, we are, it is likely that wheat sells off at that point. Um, happened last year and I would expect the same thing to happen again. Remember 80% of basically global exports come from the Northern hemisphere and the winter wheat gets harvested in that May, June, kind of into July area. You know, you get to August. Now we're really into spring wheat harvest. Same with September, kind of depending where you are in you know, the northern United States or southern Canada and the western plains and or sorry, western Canada. And, you know, that's and and you have all this wheat coming onto the market. The most the majority you know, the biggest there's more winter wheat than there is spring wheat. And you'll see this big influx of winter wheat coming in from the United States, Europe. Ukraine, Russia, um, that's a lot. That's 80, you know, and then right after that in August and September, you see, you know, the northern part of the United States, Western Canada coming in with spring wheat. And you also see a lot of spring wheat from Russia. They're a big producer of spring wheat. And it's it's going to hit. And, and, it's, and any kind of shortages there are in the wheat market, if there's ever going to be a time where we can finally start building a surplus and go the other way in the stock situation, it will be 
Um, it will be later on in 2023 when we get the wheat, a winter wheat harvest, and then bang right after it, the spring wheat harvest starts to kick in. So something to keep in mind if you're a wheat farmer, we will stay elevated for a while, but won't stay elevated forever, especially if we get some good crops. Those are some big, you know, maybes, right? Because we got La Nina weakening. And the big question is on the weather side of things, you know, is it going to be in time for South America, particularly corn and soybeans, to make a difference? And then if La Nina does come to end in time, weather patterns get more normal, great for South American farmers. North American farmers will be doing better too, you know, in, you know, as La Nina transitions into a more neutral weather pattern. And some of the weather services are calling for, you know, a possible El Nino by the end of the year. I mean, that generally means more favorable growing weather for the United States and South America next cycle. Um, and it could even benefit them this cycle if it, if it happens early enough, um, that transition happens early enough. So in my mind, I know there's drought in the western part of the United States. There's no doubt about it. Um, but and I know a lot of people are comparing this like a 2011, 2012, and I understand the comparisons and they make sense. But if we do go to a more neutral weather pattern and even kind of even look into going to El Nino, um, you should see should see more pre precipitation. You should see better weather. So we are going to plant a lot of acres. Um, What's interesting on the acreage side, you know, some farmers I talk to just can do their regular rotation, especially the guys in Illinois and Iowa and, um, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin and Ohio and Indiana. But I have been hearing more about wheat. Wheat was very high priced. It's, uh, you know, guys are spending a lot of money on inputs. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, wheat, they can get a little bit of a break on that with still some good margins. And I'm hearing more about double crop. So it, the, where we saw the winter wheat go in, like there was winter, there was wheat going in, winter wheat going in to farms in central Illinois, which I haven't heard of in like, you know, until recently. And before then, it was been like 15, 20 years since we've seen that. And what it's going on is they're planting the winter wheat on the bean acres what will become bean acres and they're double cropping. And, you know, some of the short season beans have been very good in terms of yield. And they're, you know, and the plan is now for some of these guys, you know, you, you talk to some farmers down there and all of a sudden they've got a thousand acres of wheat and they're going to double crop beans on it, which that was definitely a hundred percent, not the case. I mean, the other thousand acres or 2000 acres will be, um, will be corn. So it's, uh, that is very interesting to see, see how, you know, and as you get farther outside the belt, you know, the high inputs, they do matter, uh, for corn, especially if you're not out yielding, you know, the way some of these guys are in other parts of the country and Illinois and Iowa, et cetera. So it's, you know, 91, 92 million acres of corn trend line yield adds 500 million bushels to ending stocks. So if thing, you know, and, if things turn around well in Argentina and we don't get exports to pick up and we get a trend line yield with 91 and a half, 92 million acres, you know, we could, um, I mean, we could end up having an old crop carryout of 1.5 billion and a new crop carryout of 2 billion. And that doesn't argue for $6 corn at all. I mean, back before the pandemic and the inflation, that would have argued for, you know, corn in the threes. I think now it's more like corn in the fours, like kind of breaking through five, you know, if you get a 2 billion carryout, just based on 
because of so many other products, but it's certainly not six or seven dollars. Um, and that's something that we gotta, you know, really gotta pay attention to and, and market. I think some farmers are a little reluctant to sell or hedge because they, you know, you know, I was at a conference this week and you know, there were a lot of farmers there, a lot of bankers, people in the industry it was at FarmCon. You know, farmers aren't as leveraged as they were. They're, you know, they have deleveraged over the years, you know, to their credit. Um, and they're also, you know, this was a pretty good year for selling grain as long as you had it. And, you know, so they've got, uh, you know, they, they do have cash on hand and they don't feel the need to, you know, you know, because they have that cushion, they don't have the, the, the need or they don't think they have the need to sell as much or do something in the futures or OTC swaps market to protect the downside. And I understand that, but you know, if we do come down in a hurry, things don't look as, look as rosy. Um, and you can kind of, where there will be need for protection. So if I'm a farmer, you know, I could see selling five, 10, 15% of new crop or getting that, that much hedged, um, if they were sold, whether it be an HGA for contract, however you do that. Um, and I would look into, look into puts. I was looking at short dated puts for, for soybeans and, and corn in May, uh, based on new crop though, just because, you know, that gets you through the WASDI, that gets you through all the South American weather, especially if it turns around. That also gets you through the March planting intentions. And also, you know, by the end of April, we'll have a pretty good idea of, you know, what, when we planted and in what conditions and that really should be wrapping up or the end in sight um, when you get to the end of April. And then, you know, we'll also have some of the longer term forecasts to get in and know much more about the soil moisture you know, on what the crop may look like going forward. Um, and then we can kind of make some decisions then. So I do like that. Uh, some clients out there don't you know, really don't want to do with that. They kind of just want to set their targets and sell it. Um, I get that. If we were also doing that, you know, you can always buy some courage calls to sell into. I still like those. Um, and then, you know, one other thing here, you know, I'll just I'll kind of wrap up with this is we are going to be, doing a webinar in a couple of weeks on OTC and farmers. I, you know, I've having a lot of conversations with farmers lately about some of the OTC products that are offered. Um, you know, as you know, I'm at StoneX and while I am a broker here at StoneX, we also have a lot of elevators that, that use StoneX to clear. And we do a lot of different things here on futures and options and structured products and, you know, anything from energy and dairy and grains and oil seeds. But we you know one of the things, that you can, you know, there is this misconception out there that if you use an OTC product, you have to pledge bushels and you don't have control over your basis anymore. And that can be true. You know, there is, if you're going to do it, you know, as a way of a grain origination program, that's how it works. You also don't have to put up margin in that way. Um, but you have to follow the, the structured product rules and whatever that strategy is. But, you know, if you do have an OTC account here, it doesn't need, you know, these strategies don't, you don't have to uh, pledge your bushels or put your bushels up as collateral. If you have, let's say the account, the OTC account and say directly with me. So, you know, if you are in that way, you know, and, the, and the benefit of that is, you know, you you still have control of your bushels where you want to deliver them, still have control of your basis, uh, you can set your basis when you want to. Um, the drawback, though, there's always a there's always a rub, 
is that you are subject to margin, though OTC margins are lower than futures margins. Um, and you know the reason being for that is when you you know use the elevator, you can have your uh, your you basically can have your bushes bushels as collateral, right? And that kind of acts as the margin. Um, but uh, when you use when you have your own OTC account, um, you know you're putting up the margin. Which if that's if you're comfortable with margin and option premium and all that stuff in the futures and options market, then you'd be you know very comfortable. You know, be as long as you understand the products, you'd be comfortable with that in the OTC markets. Um, and I always talk about OTC, you know, for guys that don't follow it, like anything that would be just like a futures and options, because there are lookalikes, but Asian options and strips, uh, accumulators fit into that, min max contracts, um, stuff like that. Stuff like that is all done on the swaps and OTC side. And when you look at commitment of traders, you know, it's also right there too. You got your swaps market, your you know, your your merchants, your funds, the non-reportables, um, they're all lumped in there together. And you can see that's a, it's a big part of the industry. So I bring it up just because we are going to do that webinar in a couple of weeks. And there are some things, if you are a farmer and you got to be ECP qualified, for all that you don't know, ECP um, means that you have a million dollars or more of liquid assets that you could show. And as long, you know, as long as you can show that, you can use... The OTC market on your own with your own account. Otherwise, you would have to go through an intermediary um, uh, part of like an origination program. But um, but there are some very interesting pricing opportunities right now. So we're going to try to start educating our clients on that a little bit more. Again, can be done at the elevator. Can be done with us um, directly. You just have to you know, contact us to know a little bit more about that. And, um, you know, there's some things for soybeans and for corn. And I'm talking like 5, 10, 15% of production, nothing crazy. Also canola. I think there's some very interesting ones for canola too. Um, I would stay away from the wheat at the market. It's hard to price and hard to figure out. And there's still too much uncertainty going around with the Black Sea. Um, so maybe I'd stay away with the wheat. But for the soybeans and the canola and the corn, I think there's some uh, I think there's some interesting plays out there, and we'll certainly be talking about those over the next couple of weeks too. So, listen, we got the WASD coming up Thursday. We'll have our estimates about those two. We've got our OTC webinar coming up over in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, wheat likely stays supportive and elevated here for a while, um, just because we do have tight stocks you know, around the world. Uh, and soybeans is looks like it's 100% a weather market right now going on in South America. And uh, corn is stuck in a place of they have a weather market because Argentina. But on the other hand, exports are so slow, the, you know, the export numbers are going to have to come down. It's kind of balancing it out in, in the corn market. And also the recent uh, decline in wheat didn't help corn that much either. And canola seems to be a follower. Um, it seems to be holding in very well. You know, uh, as uh, as soybeans uh, stay elevated, also. So, if you have any questions for me, if you are a client, you want to know more about anything we talked about, please contact me. If you're not a client and you're interested in any of this, whether it be the consulting side, futures and options, OTC and swaps, uh, my number is 312-706-7610. Email is craig.turner at stonex.com. And one thing we're going to be talking about, and if you want to reach out to me early, please feel free to. But um, we actually are having some farmers here who are interested in kind of becoming their own local elevator um, because there is so much storage out there 
and uh, you know larger farms. You, know, you have your own trucks. You got your own. You got your own storage, and uh, there is this kind of. I don't know. There's this movement going out there in the country, and you can feel it, where you know, in just like uh, in just like other industries, where they get too consolidated, and then you start to see them uh, basically building back up from you know, smaller, smaller companies and smaller plays. And, you know, you may be seeing that in the elevator game. So we'll be talking more about that too. So again, uh, feel free to reach out anytime. Hope everyone has a great week and I'll talk to you later. Bye. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniel Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniel's Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www www.danielstrading.com Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.